Hello, and welcome back to the Let Me Add to That podcast. My name is Elizabeth Grasswich, Executive Director of Public Affairs and Communications at the Los Angeles County Office of Education. We are the largest regional education agency in the United States. We serve 80 school districts and nearly 2 million children. We are excited to use this platform to take a deep dive into the conversations surrounding our students and schools in LA County. It is officially June, which means many of us in education are celebrating graduations in summer, finally taking much-needed breaks and time off, right? June also means that we are also celebrating LGBTQ plus Pride Month. This month, we intentionally place a focus on the equal opportunity for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning Americans. National Pride Month occurs in the month of June to commemorate the Stonewall Riots in June 1969. You will see and hear about many Pride events that will be celebrated all month long throughout Los Angeles County and beyond to recognize the impact LGBTQ plus people have had in the world. With me today, I have LACO's Tanya Moore, Coordinator 3 of Physical Education and Comprehensive Health. Hi, Tanya. Hi. And joining Tanya is Alex Morse, Community Health Educator for Planned Parenthood Pasadena and San Gabriel Valley. Hi, Alex. Hey. Tanya and Alex, can you please briefly go into what each of you do in your positions, starting with Tanya? Thank you, Liz. Um, I'm a coordinator for physical education and comprehensive health, which really gives me the opportunity to provide technical assistance and guidance to all um, school districts in L.A. County for the different topics associated with health and physical education. But more recently, um, I've gotten um, taken a different role, adding um, how to provide guidance to educators and uh, school districts and local education agencies to providing inclusive and supportive practices for LGBTQ plus youth. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And I'm a community health educator with Planned Parenthood. um, And my primary role is to go into different schools and provide uh, comprehensive sexual health education to young people. Um, I also supervise a group of young people called the Peer Advocates that do some awesome work uh, on a peer-to-peer level in the high schools. And before we got started today, you both shared with me a great story about how you got to know each other and how um, you, Alex, got into this work. Can you share briefly about that that story? Absolutely. Today's the first uh, day I've met Alex in person, and we uh, go way back via Zoom. Um, Our first encounter was a couple of years back where we reach out to community-based organizations and community partners to support our work with comprehensive sex education. And um, one of our network meetings, uh, one of our community partners suggested um, Alex and Alex's um, group to come and present. So um, Alex, go ahead and share. Yeah, so we've had the pleasure now for two years of having the Peer Advocates prevent to the LACO Comprehensive Sexual Health Education Network, Um, and they are primarily presenting on a really amazing needs assessment that they do of youth in their community. Um, This year, they actually got over a 1,000 responses, so that's a 1,000 young people in the Pasadena-San Gabriel Valley area that are having their voice heard um, and sharing those responses with adults 
adults that work with young people um, and stakeholders that make these types of decisions so that they're able to hear directly from the youth voice. And when you say young people, these are these are high school students, right? And that's really when you got started as well. Yeah. So um, for me, you know, my first week of high school, I showed up and I went to the drama club meeting, which was immediately followed by the Gay Straight Alliance meeting, <laughs> because, of course, those are together. Um, and someone asked me at the time if I was an ally and I didn't even know what that word meant. Um, I had never heard it before. Um, and so I. I realized that I was not an ally. I was actually part of the community. Um, and I was in a school where we really did not receive any education about this. Um, adults certainly did not talk about it. Kids talked, right? We talked a lot about how we were feeling, and what we were going through. Um, but I feel like I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be able to change that for other young people. Um, and so as soon as I got to college, I got involved with advocacy and peer-to-peer education, um, actually volunteering with the same Planned Parenthood that I work for now, which is really cool. Um, And now I have the pleasure of being a trans adult for young trans people. Um, And, you know, I'm in various different high schools all the time. Um, And I'll tell you, they do come up to me after classes to say to me, wow, I've never seen an adult like you before. And so that that really to me is like the full circle from when I was a high schooler. Thank you for sharing. I thought it was a great story, a great story of how we can uplift young voices um, and help make change. So uh, let's get into the research. Tanya, what does the research say about having supportive adults on campus for LGBTQ plus students? This to me is my why. Research shows that having supportive adults on campus has a direct impact to the health and well-being of all LGBTQ students. One of the biggest pieces of um, research that I like to reference is from Trevor Project that states um, when LGBTQ plus students have a supportive adult on campus, it reduces the suicide attempts by 40%. That piece of data to me says it all. That is my why of why this podcast and um, having visibility and education is so important. And that's a lot of the work that you do is around supporting adults at our schools. Absolutely. And to turning to both of you now, what advice would you give to an educator or a school employee who would like to be more supportive of LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, so the thing that comes to mind for me first and foremost is just to trust kids about their experiences. Um, I think that as adults, we have a tendency to want to dismiss certain things and say, you know, that's a phase or you'll grow, th- you'll grow through that or past that. Um, and regardless of whether or not something is a phase, that is their experience that they are having. So for me, the number one thing is to listen to kids and trust kids as the experts on their own experience. I really appreciate that because that's a that's a question or a comment we hear quite often is what if it's a phase? What if it's what if what if um, for me from kind of I'm going to put my admin hat on just for a minute. But I think the first step is educating ourselves, whether you're an ally, part of the community or any type of um, community, if you will. Your first step is to educate yourself. Number two, as a teacher, as an employee, uh, administrator, 
we need to do our best to use gender neutral language. Um, we're past the old um, train of thought of saying boys versus girls, line up, boys first, tallest to shortest. We don't do that anymore. It's not conducive to health and well-being for all students, not just our LGBTQ kids. Number three, we need to support our LGBTQ plus student organizations. So what does that mean? First of all, we need to allocate funding and resources, supervision, time, so that we can have these peer affinity groups and organizations. It does require effort. It does require funding. Next, advocacy. We need advocacy not only from the queer community, the queer staff. We need advocacy from parents, family, community-based organizations, allies, everybody. Advocacy is going to be a really big part of this. Last, we have to provide our LGBTQ youth with resources. We all know they need access to mental health resources. They need access to authentic health care that provides services to queer people. They need resources to for their family. We get lots of questions from families that are saying, hey, you know what? I want to support my kid, but I don't know how to access other families like myself. So accessible um, resources is a really big piece. And then you just mentioned the word allyship. What does allyship look like and sound like, and why is it so important? Yeah, so I think that this is such a tough question because there's no, like, you know, here's the guide to being an ally and everything that you can do perfectly. Um, but I think that the most that you can do is to always be learning and always trying to seek out the voices and experiences of LGBTQ people. Um, and the more that you do that, whether that's reading books, following them on social media, listening to podcasts like this one, whatever it may be, um, you'll get that exposure and that will give you the perspective. Because really allyship is just like any other form of compassion that we show each other. Um, and the best way to understand what someone needs is to understand what they are going through. I couldn't agree anymore. Allyship is really important to me, um, not only at LACO, but in this county, in this community. Without allyship, we cannot elevate voices. We cannot leverage support. So I think allyship that's authentic is critical to really um, continue the trajectory forward for um, queer youth, but also um you know, colleagues. And when you say authentic, um, I think you used a term before about performative allyship. Can you explain what that looks like in contrast to authentic allyship? Yeah, absolutely. So performative allyship is, you know, going where you only talk about LGBTQ stuff during June. You only think about it during Pride Month. You may, you know, hang a progress pride flag, but after June is over, what do you do to continue that conversation? Authentic allyship is, you know, you're advocating when the the cameras are off or the microphone is turned off. It's doing things behind the scenes 
um, educating yourself without um, it being a requirement. And what are some common mistakes that people make in showing their allyship that isn't helpful to the community? So I actually think that when it comes to making mistakes as an ally, uh, performative allyship is the primary pitfall that people fall into. Uh, an example that I've seen is people might use the phrase, you know, this space is for women and women identifying people. And while they're attempting to be inclusive, what they're actually doing is separating trans women from women in general and saying, you know, cisgender women are women, you are women identifying people, right? So it's an attempt to say this space is inclusive to trans women, but it's actually separating trans women from women overall. Um, so I think that, you know, that to me is an indicator of we're trying to look inclusive, but not actually taking the steps to be inclusive. You know, and those steps would look like having trans women in leadership, having them in the conversation in the room, um, examining what organizational practices they may have that might be excluding trans women from this space, um, and reaching out to trans communities to include them in the conversation or the creation of certain spaces. Uh, that is allyship, right? And just saying something, you know, you can actually end up hurting trans or LGBTQ people not actually being actively inclusive. One of the other things I think that uh, a small detail that has a big impact is pronouns. One of the big things about pronouns is, you know, um, if the, the pronouns change, what if they evolve and they're evolving too much? How do I always know a person's um, pronoun? We need to ask, does it take a little bit of effort? Absolutely. But that has such a big impact and it really can save a life. However, if you misgender, it's really important not to make it about yourself and your uncomfortableness. So if I misgender someone, um, I need to apologize, own it, and move on and not over um, indulge in your own ego about uncomfortableness. I agree so much. And I think that one of the best things that people can do when it comes to pronouns is practice. That is the number one way to hack the system. You know, if your brain isn't used to using they, them pronouns, the only way to get your brain used to it is to practice doing it. And that goes for any pronouns that someone uses, right? Um, so instead of making it about me and this is so hard and, oh, no, I've made a mistake, committing to practicing and getting better, um, that's true allyship. And I can add to that some more as a rehabilitated <laughs> physical education teacher. Um, I use the phrase you guys all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if that's a, a PE thing or a Southern California thing, but that's a personal, um, I guess, thing I've been working on for the past two years. I fail miserably, but I'm working on it. Absolutely. That's such a great point. I actually knew someone who made that their New Year's resolution this year to stop using that word when they, they speak. You know, you, you both made some really great points. And um, what are some other ways that we can better serve our LGBTQ plus teachers, staff and students on our campuses and in our districts? Bottom line for me, um, we need to be that supportive adult. That's that's the bottom line of what we need to do. 
It is our job, it's our duty as educators to provide that safe and supportive, inclusive instructional environment in and out of the classroom. It carries on beyond the bell. It goes beyond three o'clock. It happens, you know, at the skate park. It happens at um, coffee shops. And we really need um, to to provide resources and education. It's This is a, a life-saving intervention. Um, in many cases, this does save lives and change lives, and we need to intervene now. Thank you. And talk about a little bit about visibility and why it's so important to the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this today because I was in um, one of the classes that I'm currently teaching. And I taught last time I was in about um, gender and sexual identity. So I've given them a lot of information. And one of the questions that I got in our, um, we do a little anonymous questions box where they can ask things privately. Um, And the question that I got was about, you know, is it transphobic to feel uncomfortable using the same restroom as a trans woman? Um, And I thought that that was a great example of where visibility is extremely important because ultimately homophobia and transphobia comes out of a place of a fear of the unknown. And that's what I was explaining to the high schoolers. I was saying, you know, if you've never interacted with a trans person before that you know of, um, then you might have some preconceived notions or biases about what that person is like and what your risks are in relation to that person and thinking, you know, maybe I have a reason to be afraid. But really, that's just a fear of the unknown, right? If they knew trans women, they would know that it's not any different than being in the bathroom with other women, right? Um, And I think that therein lies the absolute power of visibility, is that the more visible our authentic stories and experiences are, the less fear of the unknown people will have. And that results in a decrease in homophobia and transphobia that can hurt our communities so much. Thank you for saying authentic. Authentic visibility is such a critical piece of the puzzle and it helps us to combat the stigma associated, whether it's somebody who's trans, somebody who's lesbian, gay, bisexual, intersex, asexual. Um, it's really important that we destigmatize what is um, the, the hate associated with the LGBTQ plus community. Another thing that's really important is representation. Representation matters when it comes to visibility because we have queer youth that need role models. They need representation and see that there are role models that go beyond television, that go beyond media, right? We need, they need to know that there are educators out there. There are business owners or um, uh, public health people that are a part of that community as well. So I think that role model is really important as well. Lake is also doing a lot of work around visibility. We recently announced um, a new initiative in partnership with the California Department of Education. We joined forces to offer LGBTQ plus cultural competency training courses to better support our students and staff. What do you hope people are going to get out of these trainings? Well, 
The training courses, like you said, were a, a partnership with California Department of Education. The, this was a part of legislation that was co-written, co-authored by Equality California. This is a part of legislation that's saying, hey, we need to look at the issue right now. The issue right now when it comes to mental health, but visibility, resources, um, suicide prevention and education, all of these are really important pressing issues. So how do we do it? The first step for this legislation is education. And we're listening to educators across the state. They're asking for uh, support with different components of inclusive um, education. So we, we coined the phrase or coined the project rather PRISM. And I think it's all in the name, providing relevant, inclusive support that matters. And matters, um, you know, the M. I spent a lot of time thinking about what, what what can this acronym be, you know, and it just clicked one day matters because that's all queer youth want is to matter, to thrive, to be a part of it, not to survive. So beautifully said. And as we as we start to wrap up, um, I want to turn to both of you and ask you a question. Are you hopeful about the direction California schools are going to better serve our LGBTQ plus youth? Yeah, so I think uh, for me, and you know, this does come from a perspective of someone who did not go to high school in California, um, and I really felt the harm of not having that education and not having that support. Um, and so, you know, being in the schools now and seeing what's happening, I do feel very hopeful. Uh, one thing in particular, there is a law on the books, and it has been for a couple of years now, called the California Healthy Youth Act. Um, and this law basically um, mandates what must be taught to young people um, when they are receiving their sexual health education. When it comes to this law, one of the things that it mandates is that um, although parents and guardians can opt their children out of sex ed in general, they can't opt them out of the LGBTQ portion of the education. Um, and I think that's so powerful because it's basically saying, you know, you can opt out of content, but you can't opt out of people. That is discrimination. And I think that all students getting that education, um, or at least being mandated to get that education, of course, actually getting it is the next step, um, but is a very powerful thing for youth in our schools. And if I could add to that, um, with Chaya content, you can't opt out of, you cannot opt out of LGBTQ content only. And the reason being is, number one, it fosters discrimination. That's, that's the obvious one. Number two, it's really looking at the curriculum supposed to be inclusive throughout the entire curriculum. So it's impossible to opt out of only LGBTQ content. Um, but we can't foster discrimination in any class, any class uh, or any um, part of the school day or uh, at recess. We can't discriminate against different people. But for me, um, my lens is a little bit different. Um, I, I recognize that there are lots of anti-trans bills um, anti-LGBTQ bills that were proposed, 
in and out of California. Um, some of them being passed. Um, and right now there is some legislation. Um, luckily, it, it, this one was very anti-transgender and it died early in legislation. And so I'm grateful for that. I feel very fortunate to live in Los Angeles County and in California where we have so many protections and policies that really do protect LGBTQ plus people, including students and adults. Um, I'm fortunate to work for an organization that supports this um, through things like a podcast, which is really cool. However, I do think it's important to recognize that we have a generation of LGBTQ folks that are being politicized and it's our job to intervene. This is intervention. This is a serious, dire straits for a generation of LGBTQ folks, especially our youth, that, you know, we have the mental health statistics and data that are telling us what's happening. We need to listen to the student voice. That was one of the first things you said at the beginning of our time together. Just because we may not understand someone or may... Um, not understand a situation or we're fearful of it doesn't mean that someone's unsafe. Um, I hope California sets the stage um, for other um, states throughout the nation and we can really kind of move this forward to be more supportive, inclusive for all students in all schools. I want to thank you both for the work that you do and for joining us today. I want to thank our listeners for joining us as well and also encourage you to take advantage of this conversation and engage in it, not just in June, but throughout the year. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Liz, and to your team for leading this conversation. And Liz, really do appreciate your fearless leadership in this topic here at LACO. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya and Alex. Please follow the Los Angeles County Office of Education on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Los Angeles COE. That's Los Angeles COE. Or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at Los Angeles County Office of Education. <laughs>